0: Let us pray. Gracious God, though they may be imperfect, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be a blessing, bring wisdom and truth, and may they be pleasing to you, the one who looks on the heart and says that we are worthy. Amen. What is so fascinating about underdog stories? They're so prevalent in our storytelling, in our media, in movies, in our news. The plot of the unlikely hero or group of heroes overcoming the adversity of the world, called by some higher power or purpose to greatness. It's practically the plot of every sports-related movie I've ever seen, And it's a favorite narrative among the fantastical stories of fiction. Harry Potter, my favorite, Captain America, Luke Skywalker, Katniss Everdeen, they all follow a similar format. The story from scripture, this story today is not much different. The prophet Samuel travels to Bethlehem at God's command in search of a king who would replace Saul, the first king of Israel who had been deposed by God. He's told to go to this small town and find the house of Jesse and that it would be among the sons of Jesse that the king could be found. Samuel is grieving Saul's rejection, having been the prophet who anointed this king at the beginning of his reign, but he goes in search of a new king anyway. When he gets to Bethlehem, he's very secretive about why he's there, saying he's there to make a sacrifice to God and slyly inviting Jesse's house to join him for the ritual. One by one, Samuel meets all of Jesse's sons. When Samuel meets Jesse's first son, Eliab, Samuel says to himself, look at this guy. He is strong and tall, clearly has the demeanor of a king, This must be God's choice for the next king of Israel. But God, always surprising, responds with a resounding, No, I have rejected him. Samuel is surprised. I can practically hear the prophet saying to God, Are you sure? Did you see the guy? Looks like a king to me. One by one, All the sons of Jesse go before Samuel under the guise of this ritual sacrifice. No one knows what Samuel is really up to. He's kind of keeping it a secret. And God rejects every single son that passes before Samuel. God says, I don't look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearance, but I, I look on the heart. Exasperated, I assume I would be, Samuel finally turns to Jesse and asks, Do you have any other sons? And I get very big Cinderella vibes from this verse. Jesse tells Samuel of his youngest son, the overlooked son, who no one even thought to invite to the sacrifice, but who was kept in the field to tend the sheep. This youngest son was not considered worthy to join in this simple ritual, being the only one of the sons who was left out. But Jesse brings his youngest son, David, before Samuel, and God says, this is the one. The youngest, who was small, maybe 12 years old, a sheep herder. This is who God chose to be the king of Israel to rule over and lead God's people. Here enters our unlikely hero. And I think the tendency here is to identify most with David, the one who was overlooked, the one who was least considered worthy, even by Samuel, for the call to greatness. The one the world disregarded and said he was least worthy, God said, this is the one. The story is so familiar, the story of the rejected or of the overlooked one being called to greatness and having a worth that the world could not see. It resonates within us as a divine truth. It is a human nature to see worthiness as identifiable by outward traits and not the inner content of who we are. Worth is determined by what the world tells us we are instead of by what God tells us we are. But it is divine nature to look upon the heart in order to see worthiness. Stories like this are mythical. They're an archetype of common stories that speaks to something deep within us. Joseph Campbell, Professor of Literature and writer of Hero with a Thousand Faces, digs into this heroic archetype. There's always a great hero, though unassuming, who is called by a higher power or purpose to greatness, a great adventure for the benefit of all in their community. Campbell studied myths and legends from cultures all over the world, and he found that this story, this pattern, was woven into the fabric of who we are as a people. It tells us something important about who we are. And we see stories like this, stories like David's, throughout history as well, and woven into our daily lives. During one of my Netflix binges during the pandemic, I watched the show Pose. I greatly recommend it. It's a series about New York City's black and Latino LGBTQ and gender non-conforming drag ball culture. I knew that that would be a mouthful, Um, from the 1980s. One of the characters, Angel Evangelista, is a black trans woman pursuing a career as a fashion model. Angel's character and story is based on the true story of Tracy Africa Norman, an African-American trans woman who was an international model and a star in the fashion photography industry in the 1970s and 80s. Tracy never expected to make history. It was a surreal experience for her to go quite suddenly From scraping money together in order to make ends meet, to seeing her picture and her face on Clairol boxes and in magazines. In 1975, she made her debut almost by accident, not unlike David, when she thought she was sneaking into a fashion show but instead showed up for a casting call. In a later interview, she shared that there was something calling to her, beckoning her to follow all of the models who were waiting in line for an interview that day. And so her journey began. Tracy went on to appear in Italian Vogue and had an exclusive contract with Avon for a skincare line, big names. While she was on set for a photo shoot with Essence magazine, she was outed as a transgender woman, a fact that she had been able to keep a secret during her entire modeling career until that point. And her career in fashion ended overnight. Tracy could no longer pursue her passion in modeling. She was rejected for every job in the United States after she was outed, being told that because of who she was, because of her body and society's expectations, she wasn't worthy to be in the industry. She couldn't represent beauty. The world was looking on her outward appearance, on the worldly traits that were deemed the deciding factor of her worth, and they rejected her. They looked with mortal eyes instead of looking on the heart with divine eyes. Our world is full of things that tell us that we are not good enough, not worthy. There are entire industries whose profits are based and founded on driving insecurity and competition. We chase fulfillment of our worth with external satisfiers. Our human instincts often drive us to categorize and label each other, to assign value and worth based on outwardly traits, on the things that we see. Our mortal selves look at things like race, gender sexuality relationship status size culture income and citizenship and we make judges judgments based on those things and these worldly judgments harm and impact us all but they especially impact those who are most vulnerable the trans teen who is rejected by family and forced to live on the streets The immigrant who can't get a COVID vaccination out of fear of being deported or harassed by ICE. The black man whose heart races when he sees flashing red and blue lights in his rearview mirror. Worldly traits are the deciding factor of worth in most cases while looking on the heart is an afterthought. These judgments of worth are built into our lives, into our governments and our policy, our culture, our theology. And they have devastating consequences. And yet, all the while, we yearn for acceptance. We crave that declaration of this is the one, a message of love and worthiness to combat all The ways our authentic selves are overlooked, rejected, and misjudged. We identify with the overlooked David, with the rejected Tracy. Their stories are our stories. We long to be acknowledged and recognized for what is in our hearts rather than what is physical or what worldly traits We possess, and at the same time, we often do not look with divine eyes upon our own hearts or on the hearts of others. But God, God looks upon the heart. God turns attention to what lies within rather than what appears on the skin. God saw David in his youth and his gentleness and called him king. God looks upon the world Looks upon us and all of who we are and says, This is the one. God proclaims that we are the one, that we are anointed with love and worth through the person of Jesus Christ, whose story is our story. Christ came to earth, a mortal and vulnerable human, born to poor and immigrant parents in occupied territory. By worldly standards, he was overlooked underestimated, and rejected. Christ came to show us of God's vision and proclaim the good news that we are worthy, that we are loved, welcomed, and called to greatness. While our story is told in the narrative of Christ's life, so is the truth that sometimes we are not David. Sometimes we are the ones doing the overlooking and the rejecting. Christ died because the world could not reconcile God's declaration of worthiness with its own because we could not reconcile it. Sometimes we are David's father and brothers forgetting to bring him to an important gathering. Sometimes we are the ones outing Tracy to the world. And sometimes we are the ones turning away from our siblings, our neighbors, the needy and the vulnerable. And as we reject others for the ways we deem them to be unworthy, we inherently reject ourselves. Christ has shown us a different way, has shown us that we must look upon our hearts to see our worth. We must look upon the hearts of others to build the kingdom that God has called us to build, we must transform our hearts to be like Christ. We must transform our eyes so that we might look beyond what is obvious and what lies skin deep to see what is true and what is good. When we do this, not just here at church, but in our homes and our towns, our nation, and in our world, God's kingdom comes. God, in proclaiming that David is the one in coming to earth as a mortal baby and dying a mortal death, declares unquestioningly that what matters does not appear on our bodies or in any physical or worldly trait. But what matters, what makes us truly worthy, can only be seen by looking on the heart. God looks on our hearts and says, this is the one. God calls us to look with divine eyes at one another so that we might build that kingdom of love. Amen.